G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Isn't it often the case that going to church on Sunday and hearing about biblical truth and the virtues of the Christian life and ethics often looks so far removed from what's happening at work when you arrive on Monday? We have no control over the attitudes of others and the challenges, perhaps even, of a boss who treats your workplace badly. But a discussion today about the richness of being a Christian in the workplace and in the wider marketplace. New social and technology changes are impacting so many workplaces today and there are new experiences at work that bring new challenges perhaps never before even been considered. We're going to talk about some of those today with our special guest who's been reflecting on how the work that people do can glorify God, including unpaid and menial work that some don't even consider to be important. So whether you are the boss or whether you're in middle management or whether you're just starting out on the bottom rung of the ladder, our conversation will be an important one today. Our special guest is Dr. Andrew Sloan, a qualified medical doctor who lectures in Old Testament and Christian thought at Morling Theological College in Sydney. He specialises in teaching about the integration of Christian faith and work. Andrew Sloan, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's good to be here. Andrew, when we talk about work, let's talk about faith and work for a few moments because sometimes, as I said in the introduction, uh, what you're doing on Sunday in church sometimes looks so different to what happens on Monday at work. The idea of faith and work together, uh, let's start off talking about the fact that those are linked. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that we've not done very well on in church, as you were saying in your intro, is making the connections which I think are there throughout Scripture. Um, if we think, I- even the, the initial picture of God that we find in uh, in the early chapters of Genesis, we see God as one who's pictured for us as a worker, who makes and does, who, who plants, who tends. Uh, and if you think about how God is portrayed through the Old and New Testament, there are so many of the ways that God is described for us uh, are drawn from the everyday experiences of people at work. Um, a lot of your listeners, I suspect, would be fairly familiar with Psalm 23, um, perhaps the best known psalm in Scripture. Uh, what they might not recognize is that image which runs through it is an ordinary, everyday, workaday image for people in the ancient world, uh, for the people who, who wrote it. Um, the uh, David is obviously uh, connected with that psalm, and uh, his experience of work 
is reflected in his reflections on God in that psalm. Interested in the way you can depict God as the worker, because, yes, right back to Genesis chapter 1. I mean, you know, in six days, God created everything. Uh, The idea of God at work, someone who's planning, someone who's solving problems, bringing order to the chaos. Uh, We often don't think of God as being the worker. We think of him as being the boss, but he actually relates to us as the worker too. And I guess if we were bringing the New Testament image of Jesus, the trained carpenter, Jesus the tradesman, uh, this comes right into the workaday environment, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I find it fascinating. Um, now, obviously, the Gospels focus on the the three years of his public ministry, but they're, they're anything but silent uh, on the years before that, when he was schooled by his father as often um, described as a carpenter, but the the word that's used is more often used of a builder. Um, So uh, he was very familiar with the ordinary circumstances of people's work, and and you find that reflected in his parables. Um, There are so many of his parables reflect on the ordinary experiences of people in Palestine at the time. Um, Household matters, like the the woman who's searching for a lost coin. Um, Again, Going back to the uh, the work of a, a shepherd, um, but so many of the parables, the workers in the vineyard, so much of what he's doing uh, engages with people and engages with their own experiences of work and uses those experiences to help them understand who he is, to understand his preaching of the kingdom of God. And I just wonder whether... Not just what he says, but but how he goes about it might be something we could learn from. well, we know the first century, and sometimes people use that terminology, don't they, an agrarian society where people were right. farmers. And so, as you say, Jesus relating to the farmer, you know, the parable of the sower, all of those yep. sorts of things uh, were all about contributing into the workday life of people and so that people could understand the big issues of the kingdom in their regular work. Uh, does, right. it, does it still work that way today? Well, I think it could. Um, I'm not sure that we've done as much thinking about that as we could. Um, to, to think about perhaps um, uh, not just saying, here's a biblical truth, now let's think about how it relates to your work, but to think about how people's work experiences might help them understand Scripture better. Um, one of the things I get people to do, um, it's kind of fun, is as they read their Bibles, just ask two simple questions, questions we're not often taught to ask. And they're this, as you read this text, how does your understanding of work help you see something more clearly in there? And then, having done that, how does this text help you understand your work better? Um, I think we could do a fair bit more of that kind of stuff um, in our church context, and people would then just naturally see the connections between their work and their faith. Some of us, let's bring this down to uh, a lower denominator here, the idea that you might drag yourself out of bed and you're off to work and your job might seem like the worst job ever. Uh, You know, you're working hard, you're lowly paid, uh, you're not appreciated, uh, the boss is like driving a slave force and uh, and you feel awful about your work. 
and difficult to make that sound like or feel like it's actually important for me to do that. What are your thoughts here? If you take that down to, uh, you know, to perhaps uh, we might talk about middle management and being bosses and th- sorts of things like that too, but let's start uh, with the ordinary worker who doesn't feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. They're working hard every day just to scratch a living and just to scrape, scrape by uh, making a living at the end of the week. What are your thoughts for that person? Yeah, um, well, the first thing is to, to recognise that um, one of the, the goods, one of the things that God values about work and our work is that it enables us to provide for ourselves and the people who depend on us. Um, we often as Christians fail to remember that uh, we are creatures uh, and that God cares for us as creatures. And one of the ways that God provides for us is through the work that we do that enables us to engage in the particular economies that we find ourselves in and so be able to contribute to the lives of others. So even if they can't see anything good about the work they're actually doing, I think I'd like them to to rethink that a bit, but even if they can't think of anything good about the work they're doing, the fact that they're able to contribute to those who depend on them is, I think, a significant thing and thing, something that reflects God and God's values. But the other thing to, to think about is um, a lot of the work that we don't think matters very much actually makes a huge contribution um, to the, the flourishing of the communities that we find ourselves in. I like to think about plumbers and garbage collectors. Um, now, uh, both of them actually relatively well paid now that I think about it. Um, and that's probably not a bad thing because their <laughs> work's pretty unpleasant a lot of the time. But um, we don't think of them as particularly significant or valuable tasks. And that's because we don't think very well. Without good plumbing and without garbage collectors, our cities would fill with filth in a matter of days. Garbage collectors take away all the stuff that we no longer can use. Um, now, often we need to think better about what we do with that, but that's another question. But they, they, they take it out so that our streets aren't cluttered, our houses aren't cluttered with the stuff that we can no longer use. Um, so what they actually do is enable the communities that we find ourselves in to, to exist. They, they make it possible for communities to flourish. Similarly with plumbers. Um, the, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming that the most significant improvements in human health and well-being have been the result of things like decent housing and sanitation and clean drinking water. So those people who help us Turn on, uh, enable us to turn on a tap and drink water that's not going to kill us, enable us to flush our toilets and get rid of the stuff that if it lay around for too long would kill us, make an enormous contribution to our communities. Andrew, we often think about having our dream job and uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, you might think, oh, the pay packet at the end of the day, if you're a plumber, actually looks pretty good. Uh, and as you say, perhaps even garbage collectors today are reasonably well paid. But we might not think of those as our dream jobs unless we saw that there was an ultimate end 
result, which was a huge benefit to the broader community. Because as a Christian, when you think about those sorts of jobs, is there a way you can think about even the idea of, you know, God's calling on you to pursue something that is going to be beneficial to a bigger, broader, wider community? Is that is there something in that that helps you accept the position that you're in when you have some level of faith in God? I think absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm in the incredibly privileged position of, of doing the work that I enjoy most in the world. And I recognize that a lot of people don't have that privilege. Um, but uh, if we think of part of our job as God's creatures and as Christians is to contribute to the societies in which we find ourselves and do so in a way which reflects God's provision for those communities, to reflect the way that God is in the business of bringing order into the world, as you said in your introduction, God brings order out of chaos. And if part of our role is to either establish that order or maintain that order, then we're reflecting God and we are contributing to God's good purposes for the communities we find ourselves in. Um, I think it's trickier um, when people can't see the good that their work is producing. Um, that, that's a lot harder. Uh, and there are some people who do find themselves in those circumstances. It may be because they need to think a little bit better about what they're doing. Uh, and again, that's something I think that um, uh, people in, in pastoral ministry could do a better job of. Um, somebody who th- finds themselves in middle management, it can often seem that all they're doing is putting, pushing paper or emails around. But if what they're doing is helping establish an orderly environment in which other people can work and which they can flourish as workers, then they're making an enormous contribution. I think I can hear you saying that if you are in what you might think of as an insignificant job, uh, that you can, in God, discover that there are some things that are in your job which may actually be hugely beneficial to others. And there is something of a fulfillment of a Christian mission in your pursuit of that job. But let me just ask you here, that doesn't do away, does it, with the idea of having an aspiration to move to your dream job one day, that someone might be your successor and take over the reins of what you're doing, of a job that you may not like, but you might have an aspiration to go on to bigger, brighter and better things. Oh, absolutely. Um, So um, I think it's it's helpful to think about um, ambition and think about it well. Ambition can be a bit of a dirty word in some Christian circles, um, and sometimes I think it's um, uh, we allow ourselves t- to be captured by our, am- our ambitions in ways that are particularly ungodly. But if our ambition is to um, to honour God as well as we can which includes understanding who God has made us to be and the kinds of tasks God has made us best for, so that we can then find ourselves in a position where we are able to do as much of the stuff that we're good at, as much of the stuff that's going to be God's way of benefiting people around us through us and our labour. If our ambition is to do that, and to do that as well as we can, to make as big an impact for good as we can in the world, then that seems to me to be a a God-honouring ambition. 
wonderful if that stuff. Means, yeah, if that means moving to an, uh, another role, um, then great. Your skills and your gifts, uh, even, I guess, a biblical foundation there is that your skills and your gifts are going to make way for you. In fact, I think there's a proverb that says, if you are well skilled in what you do, you'll serve before kings. The idea that you will be promoted if you are a skilled worker. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316, talking about Christians at work. And, uh, you know, does it make a difference if you're a person of faith? What are you called to do in the workplace? Uh, some interesting ways that our conversation is going. You can help direct where our conversation goes. 1-800-316-316. You can respond to that Facebook question. Do you think values and ethics at work are different than they were 10 years ago? Dr. Andrew Sloan is our guest. He in Old Testament and Christian thought at Morling College in Sydney. There is a conference that's coming up 15th to the 17th of July. It's called Working in the Presence of God Conference. We'll tell you more about that as we go. Take some calls in just a few moments, but just before the break there, Andrew, uh, I mentioned this idea that if you are a Christian in a workplace, and you might be there with a hundred others, if you are someone who recognizes where you are in God, you're faithful, you're being obedient to God, you're working, you're not ripping off the company you're working for, you are highly likely to find favor. This has been the experience of Christians at work, especially over the last 500 years. What are your thoughts for the potential for good things when you are serving God in the workplace? Sure, it's absolutely a possibility and um uh, I think there are, as you say, there are lots of stories where people have found precisely because of who they are as a Christian, because of how that shapes their values, how it shapes uh, both their integrity at work, but also their desire to do their work well, uh, that this is recognized by people who who may well not share their faith. Uh, and so they they benefit and prosper. Um, that's often the case, but uh, unfortunately it's not always the case, is it? Um, so, I mean, I think there are lots of... It, it's quite interesting to, to reflect on this because we find in Scripture a number of examples of people who, who do prosper uh, because of their godliness at work. But we also uh, hear, uh, particularly in Peter and other places, um, the the warning that precisely because of your faithfulness, um, things might not go so well at work. Uh, the idea of jealousy from workmates, uh, you're working hard, you've got favour from the boss, uh, we'll work against you. That can happen, can't it? Yep, yep. Um, and also sometimes uh, there are some workplaces where the integrity that you show is not valued uh, and you may in fact get serious pushback as a result of that because you want to speak truth, because you um, want to make sure that yes, your company does well, but also the people you serve get good service. Um, that may not be as welcome as we might hope it should be. And the idea that your company sells a product, um, you know, sometimes they're called widgets. <laughs> sometimes yep. your company is selling widgets and uh, there's some 
underhanded tactics that your marketing sales department uses to move those products along. You recognise there's an integrity issue there and you push back against that or you expect something a little bit better from the company you're working for. That can get that bit of pushback, can't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and uh, some people find themselves in a work environment where there is uh, so much of that or where there's a, a toxic work environment, um, where there's bullying and harassment as a, a standard feature of how people are treated, um, and they're unable to make any difference. Um, and sometimes that can be unendurable. Um, so one of the things I think we need to do, um, here I'm speaking to, to those who have responsibilities for caring for people in churches, I think we have a responsibility to... to to support people in those difficult circumstances and help them f- navigate um, either how they might survive in that workplace, because um, sometimes surviving in some workplaces is as good as it gets, or perhaps to see whether there's possibility for them to move somewhere else where they're able to find a, a, a culture which is more humane. Uh, that can be pretty tricky. Yeah. We're into a conversation talking about some of the realities of life at work when you are a person of faith. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's take some calls. Let's hear from James in Adelaide Hills in South Australia. Hi, James. Welcome along. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Very well, James. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm just uh, following on, listening to uh, Dr. Andrew Sloan this morning and... uh, uh, yes, intrigued by some of his comments. Uh, they do resonate with me um, and have resonated as uh, I've thought through them. Uh, that God in your career, um, I found, was um, very helpful, very supportive. Um, I worked originally as a registered nurse and then continued on into uh, the role as a nurse educator and I really truly believe that through God's support uh, during a, certainly the last 10 years of my career, uh, the, the career ballooned where I ended up becoming a state coordinator for clinical facilitation and had a statewide role and travelled around to uh, 100 facilities across South Australia uh, working with student nurses from Certificate 3, Certificate 4, uh, the EN Diploma and the Bachelor course for registered nurses through the UniSA. But I guess my point this morning that's resonated with me is that um, if we bring God into the mix uh, through our faith, he can underpin our career, but he can also transition us so that we are positioned, yes, to be an influence. And I'll just give you one example Oh, James, let's. Uh, I need to be. I need sorry. to cut in because we're running short of time. But you oh, are making course, the course, most. Sorry. You are making an absolutely amazing point that if you are progressed in your career and you hold tight to those uh, ideals, to those foundations, to those principles from your scriptural uh, understanding, then eventually you find yourself into a way, a place of influence. Let's get a thought or two from Andrew for for James. Thank oh, look, I'm. Uh, I'm delighted to hear that, and I think uh, nursing is an uh, such an obvious place where 
the the care of God and the care for vulnerable people uh, can be reflected. Um, I've I've come across so many gloriously um, faithful nurses, um, and the the notion that you've had the opportunity to influence both the training and I, I presume the workplace culture of uh, 100 facilities across the state is fantastic and something I think we should thank God for. James, thank you so much for your call. And uh, let's take another call quickly before news. Let's hear from Shelby in Queensland. Hello, Shelby. It's been a little while. What are your thoughts? Yes, Neil, uh, Andrew. Yeah, mate, look, um, my uh, attitude, my mother sent me off to Sunday school six, seven, eight, nine, 6, 7, 8, 9, and it stayed pretty much with me all my life. But I'm always out. Uh, I always, uh, wherever I work, and I'm in multi-level marketing, um, and we do have a group of Christians in amongst the, the group that we uh, uh, we are connected with, and quite candidly, um, make it very clear that I have a Christian view. Even with people that want to swear around me, I say, please, do you mind? And, uh, you know, 100 out of 1 uh, all accept it and uh, are happy. And, of course, they also... It's a funny thing, but you often, you know, if you have a bit of discernment, you know that there's some little problems around the place, and you might just, you know, get a chance where you reside with one person and you're able to share with them. And it's amazing how people come back to you and then other people come to you. Um, because, you know, uh, what what more can you give them the scripture? Uh, it's the greatest book that's ever been written in the Bible. <laughs> That's the greatest out uh, seller every year. Shelby, Shall, good thoughts there. About to go to news, so we'll cut you short on that. But yes, letting your light shine. But let's come down to this idea that we can sometimes have that our work is different to our faith. How do you address that sort of thing, Andrew? Well, uh, good question. Thanks, thanks, Neil. The, I guess part of it is to, to, to name it and shame it. Um, the, the, the term that's often used here is the sacred-secular divide. Uh, and it's this notion that somehow or another there are bits of the world or aspects of life that are, are sacred, that they belong to the realm of faith, that, that God is particularly interested in them, and that there are other bits of the world that don't belong to the world of faith, that they're secular, that they're, they have nothing to do with who we are as Christians or what God's interested in the world. It seems to me that that is a... A profoundly dangerous notion and possibly possibly even heretical because it 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 says that really God is not Lord over the whole of life and the whole of the world which which strikes me as a dangerous idea um, so if we if we recognize that we have this it, it's an idea that runs sometimes um, implicitly without people saying it out loud, but that kind of value often runs through stuff we do. Um, it, it can be as, as simple as the invitation when you come to church to to set aside the worries of the week, to forget about the week that's passed and all the stuff that you've been doing at work and family and concentrate on God. Now, I can see why people say that. But I wish they wouldn't. <laughs> In some sense here, I can hear you saying it's really a perception. It's an attitude that you have to your work. Is that something that you can adjust easily? Because, you know, if you are shaped and if you are raised and if you are conditioned to think that somehow or other your work is not so sacred... Uh, it's separate. It's like the secular thing you do and then you turn up for church on Sunday and that's the sacred thing. Is it easy to adjust that attitude? 
unfortunately not. Um, in, in part because there is, there is so much um, that we do in church contexts that reinforces those unfortunate ideas. Uh, one of the things that um, we try and do, and I guess it's part of what the conference is on about too, is, is to help people who think theologically, who think about the scriptures, to think better about it. And so that that can then impact people who are training those for pastoral ministry, which means that they can in, then in turn impact the the people that they're meant to be equipping for their life in the world. But there are a whole bunch of things that, because a, a lot of this happens implicitly. Uh, it's not necessarily what people say, although sometimes it is. I was uh, I came to faith when I was at university, and I remember um, someone who was a couple of years ahead of me um, saying that uh, uh, it was better to be a third-rate minister of the gospel than a first-rate doctor. Mm. Um, quite frankly, I was uh, appalled by statements like that, even though, to be fair, I'm not working as a doctor now. <laughs> um, that's not because I think what I'm doing is any more important. It's just because I think that's what God would have me do. So sometimes we say it out loud, but often it's it's the if you like the hidden curriculum, if I can put it that way, um, the 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 stuff that is imp- is valued by the way we do things in church. Some of the terminology may be uh, uh, problematic because sometimes we might think about the person who's pursuing at that ministry career as a higher calling. And uh, what you're saying here is, uh, hang on a second, be careful of that because in doing so, you don't just magnify someone who wants to serve in ministry, but you might actually be undermining the value of someone who is at work. I wonder whether, I mean, this is historic too, I guess, uh, reflecting back to, it was Martin Luther who said that all believers are a part of a priesthood. You know, we talk about the priesthood of all believers, and he saw very little difference in the person who was working. I think he used the illustration of the plowboy and the milkmaid and said they're no less valuable than the priest. And uh, he really made huge inroads, changed the whole way that uh, Christians have perceived work over that, and that's 500 years ago. But sometimes we are still dealing with these these issues, aren't we? Absolutely. And that that notion of the priesthood of all believers is, I think, incredibly important. Now, I'm I'm a Protestant Christian of a Baptist kind, and so we, we like to think that that's something that we value very highly, and sometimes we do. But often what we mean by that is that everyone can contribute to the churchy stuff, that the priesthood of all believers means that um, if they can read well in public, they can read the Bible, they can pray, um, they can serve in children's ministry or what have you. Whereas, as you said, Luther's notion of the priesthood of all believers, um, which I think is a biblical notion of the priesthood of all believers, is that our priestly functions operate wherever we find ourselves in the world, um, and that... Um, the the milkmaid or the ploughman or the uh, the administrator or the plumber um, is just as much a priest of the living God as someone who's up the front preaching on a Sunday. And the way this works practically, uh, you know, you can give money on Sunday. You think, oh, I've done my bit. I'm yep. off doing my secular role Monday to Friday. I turn up to church on uh, on Sunday. The plate's passed around. I put uh, my tithe or my offering into the plate. My bit's done. But what you're saying is here, uh, that's probably too low an attitude to have. Uh, There's a higher expectation that your work is important to God. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that I would love to see, uh, and there are churches that are doing this, um, what I'd love to see is that that valuing of work is something that is is clear in what we do when we gather on a Sunday, so that people actually bring their work in, rather than forgetting about their work, <coughs> pardon me, they bring their work into the presence of God, just as um, uh, we're meant to be working in the presence of God, so our work is meant to come into the presence of God when we come into this focused time of worship and learning and being shaped by God for God's purposes. Let's bring our work in. Let's bring the tools of our trade to church and think about them and pray over them and have, have people bless us and the stuff that we're seeking to do to honor God during the week. I think that would make a profound difference to how people see their work and how they see the value of their work. Andrew, let's just turn back a little bit to some of the things we began to talk about at the beginning and uh, the sort of work we do. And there were some wonderful calls that came through. The idea that, you know, you start off being the worker and you are skilled in what you do. You're proud of the work that you're performing. And uh, somebody recognizes that and they promote you up and all of a sudden you're in charge. As uh, we heard from uh, that listener a little earlier, you know, this aspiration to things for the future. Uh, the idea that change is happening so dramatically in our society. Some are even suggesting that we're about to see an even bigger wave of technological change. I mean, it's mm. going to displace some of our jobs. Some of the jobs we're talking about being proud of now are going to be displaced by robots into the times to come. Artificial intelligence is going to develop all sorts of things. But we could be fearful of that. But there's also a new industrial revolution creating all sorts of new opportunities. What are your thoughts for Christians who are thinking about their working future Hearing what you're talking about as uh, ministry and not separating the sacred and the secular and about how they might move forward, is this a time to be thinking carefully about what your future is in work? Oh, absolutely. Um, and to recognize that um, the expectations we ought to have are changing quite significantly. Uh, when I started out, I'm an old bloke, um, and so when I started out, there was this notion of a career. You... You, you went into a particular industry and normally there was a career path laid out for you. You might change jobs, but you didn't change career. Um, that's increasingly not the case. Uh, so the, the evidence is that people who are entering the workforce now won't have a career. They will have a number of careers over the course of their working life. Um, so they may radically change industries. Uh, and a lot of that's um, because, as you were saying, uh, there's a whole lot of technological disruption, which is happening at a particularly interesting and difficult time in the world with the disruptions as a result of the global pandemic, um, disruptions to supply chains, to travel, a um, whole bunch of um, uh, shifts that are taking place culturally. So that I think... If I was speaking to someone who's entering the workforce now, I'd encourage them to, in as much as they are able, to try and be as nimble as they can be and to think about the ways in which the, um, the skills they have can be transported across different industries. Wonderful stuff. Let's move. Since we're running short of time, I don't want to miss 
talking about the boss in the workplace here because uh, we've talked a lot about the worker. Been wonderful yep. conversation about the worker, but there is a sense, isn't there, that if you do through your career, and it might be, as you say, multiple careers, but as you do move up into positions of responsibility, you're going to be responsible for other members of staff. You may eventually become the CEO of the company, and then everything that happens in the company, in some sense, falls on your shoulders. But you, are, if you're a person who's been shaped uh, by a godly outlook on your work, that has all sorts of potential to transform whole workplaces, doesn't it? How do you think your aspiration in work here uh, will actually have that effect when you get to that position when the buck stops here and the values start here, that you can start to transform things? Well, I, I would actually say that you would be transforming things all the way along from the ground up, really. Because one of the most important ways of affecting workplace culture is by the kinds of relationships you have with people. Um, so uh, one of the keys to a, a flourishing workplace, I think, is the valuing of all people in the organisation and the recognition that while there, there are clear differences in pay, that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, while there are clear differences in responsibility and, if you like, how crucial a particular role is for that organisation, um, that doesn't make one person more valuable than another. And nor does it necessarily mean that their work is more valuable than another. It's, uh, I think it's worth thinking about that a bit differently. And if you have that attitude all the way along, so that you value those around you, both those above you and those below you, if that's the, the best way to imagine it, and those around you, if your job, you see part of your job as facilitating others in their work, helping them to flourish as persons and to flourish as workers, then by the time you get to a position of influence, well, you've already had a significant position of influence. And people will recognise that uh, the stuff that you're saying now about trying to reshape culture is stuff that's been reflected in who they've seen you to be all along. That notion of our character being developed and being demonstrated across our work through a range of different working environments, I think is absolutely crucial to shaping an organisation. Andrew, we started talking too about the idea of glorifying God in your workplace. And while I've been bringing what I thought was a, you know, a good aspiration, that things will go well for you when you are obedient to God, you work hard, you have a good ethic, it's applied, people recognise good things and they promote you into better positions. And you were quick to say, well, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes there is resistance, whether it's your co-workers or whether it is the bosses, resistant to you because you hold to Christian ethics and an ideal in the workplace. Let's come back to this idea glorifying God for a moment. Whether things go well or not... Uh, what are your thoughts for listeners as to glorifying God in the workplace? Well, I think the, 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 the first thing we ought to always to be focused on is faithfulness. Um, I think fruitfulness is something that God gives as a blessing. Faithfulness is something that, in, that God entrusts to us and asks of us, no matter our circumstances. Um, and so the, the primary way I think we glorify God um, is by the fidelity, the faithfulness we show. So that um, we might be 
uh, picked on by some of our co-workers. We might, in fact, be um, uh, face even persecution, um, not necessarily for being explicitly Christian, but f- just for being a decent human being who's going about their work well. Sometimes in some workplaces, that's you just cop it as a result. That being faithful in those circumstances is one of the ways in which we glorify God. And being faithful in a way that tries as best we can by the Spirit's enabling to reflect the qualities of our Lord Jesus. Um, uh, and again, P- I come back to Peter again, um, who's, who's pretty clear that he left us an example. Um, yes, he his death was sacrificial for us, but it was also an example of, of of how we ought to endure suffering precisely because we're doing good. Um, but again, for some people, my, my work environment, I mean, I work at a theological college, you would hope this would be the case. Um, mine is a, a, an environment where good work is honoured and um, uh, I have not experienced that kind of persecution. But for those who do, one way of glorifying God is to persist in doing good in the face of evil. Wonderful to reflect on fruitfulness and faithfulness. And of course, if you're in a workplace, whether things go well or not, there are others who are watching you. You have a witness in the workplace. Because you're a person of faith, because you are diligent to the work that God has called you to do, that in itself is a very, very loudly spoken comment, isn't it, to your workers, fellow yep. workers? Yep. Yes, and I think, I think um, as you say, one of the ways we glorify God is by reflecting the, the grace of God as creator and redeemer uh, in who we are. And, and yes, what we say when we have the opportunity, but also that these are lives which are meant to ornament the gospel which has claimed us. Andrew, running out of time, just to make reference to a conference that you've got coming up at Morling Theological College in Sydney, the Working in the Presence of God conference. I mean, this is just, I guess, an appetite, uh, st- an appetizer for, uh, for the good stuff that you'll be talking about at a conference like that. Uh, what can people expect if they're participating? Yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a somewhat unusual conference in that there'll be a, a range of um, academic pieces, but also some very practical reflections from people in the workplace, from people who've been thinking about workplace theology for some time. Um, so um, uh, Denise Daniels uh, is our keynote speaker. She's um, in the States, so it, she won't be live uh, in Sydney with us. Um, but she will be reflecting on her own work about the the kinds of practices that people can engage in at work, which will continue to shape them as workers to glorify God. So not just the kind of stuff you can do in your bedroom uh, or your lounge room or your church room, but the stuff you can do in your workroom. Um, so a range of speakers, um, uh, some leading Australian experts, people like Gordon Priest, uh, will be speaking, um, and the opportunity to reflect on on who we are as workers, uh, and how we can shape the cultures that we find ourselves in. 
well, uh, people can join um, here with us in Sydney or, as you said, in Brisbane or Mel- Melbourne, um, or you can just zoom in from uh, from home and you can find details on the website. Okay, so we're not restricted just to those who are connected with those colleges. Uh, listeners yep. to our conversation now, uh, far widespread all over Australia, can be a part of this conference. And uh, so let me give the website, and it's mauling.edu. Dot .au that's morling m o r l i n g it is the biggest theological institution in Australia and uh, they're running this conference called working in the presence of god conference so when people go to the website is there going to be an easy easy to find link where you can actually uh, uh, connect there yep absolutely um, if you go to the morling website uh, that you've just out, just noted uh, you can go to the events page uh, and click through to the conference details and you can register there. Fabulous stuff. An events page at mauling.edu.au. The conference is called Working in the Presence of God Conference and uh, it sounds like you're really touching where the rubber hits the road here. A wonderful conference, a wonderful topic, a wonderful way that you've got great experts coming in and sharing all sorts of different thoughts on those things. Uh, Dr Andrew Sloan, who lectures in Old Testament and Christian Thoughts at Morling College in Sydney. Andrew, thanks so much for a great uh, conversation today on 2020. Uh, you're very welcome and thanks for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.